three, two, one. That's right. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present of everyday people. Yes, indeed. And now, here's your host, the one, the only, Asher Chua. Hey, Levi. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's funny. I, I guess I almost did this by mistake, but uh, happened since you got the old uh, rambling wreck shirt on. But yeah, yeah, it's a chance, to, <laughs> a chance to catch up with uh, old classmates from Georgia Tech and see where you're at now and how life is going with you. Yeah, man. Uh, it's yeah. So I graduated Tech in 2012, and uh, it's been it's uh, crazy. It's been 10 years. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I was civil engineering, just like you, and, uh, had a couple summer internships, right at AutoCAD all day. Uh, mm-hmm. and I hated my life. <laughs> I looked for something different and I ended up being, uh, getting hired at Schlumberger to, uh, to be a field engineer for, uh, frac or hydraulic fracturing. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Oklahoma, did, uh, frac for three and a half years. The downturn hit in 2015, got my big promotion. I was afraid I was going to get laid off, took anything and everything I could. Um, I ended up coming down to Houston, uh, doing logistics work for our remaining um, frat crews that we had in the U.S. Did that for a little over a year. I spent a couple of months training new field engineer trainees how to run frack equipment and deal with high pressure, which was absolutely terrifying they had no respect for 15,000 psi um which is man that's horrifying that like there there have been people cut in half on frack jobs yeah. before because they didn't know what they were doing uh from the from the hydraulic water pressure and um so that was fun uh teaching those guys for a couple of months then i uh basically restarted my career in the beginning of 2017 at Slumberger. um I went into procurement. Uh, then I did that. We we went live with SAT, uh, which is the world's largest. It's called an ERP system, enterprise resource planning. Uh, so basically, it's everything you know that you do with procurement, planning, uh, paying your vendors, quality, warehouse. It's like an all-encompassing software. We went live with that. The largest single ever deployment of SAP in the company's history in SAP's history. Um, became a super user, did that for a year, year and a half, uh, trained people. Uh, I was actually at um, what we called the procurement service center. So it was a big hub in Houston. And uh, my job for six months was to argue with the SAP team on behalf of procurement accounts payable to get them to do what we needed them to change and correct and improve. And then uh, uh, I became an accounts payable supervisor for a little over a year. And then April of 2020, I took a new role as a procurement manager at a manufacturing center here in Houston, um, which is where I still am today. Um, and basically we make uh, safety and isolation valves that go downhole in the well. Um, so imagine you know the valves that Imagine the valve that could that could have prevented Deepwater Horizon, right? The, the, you know, the, those those level of spills, those safety valves, it's, it's an extra mm-hmm. layer of safety and security. So 
So we make those valves and uh, we sell them around the world. Um, we're, uh, we're like the lead center for that completions product within Schlumberger globally. And I think globally, Schlumberger has the, the biggest market share for that. So, and, and those valves are very, very complex. I mean, they're the common one that we sell to the field is like $250,000, $300,000 and they mark it up. Um, but, you know, and you think, well, okay, well, why, why so much? A lot of it is because the, the machining tolerances are to like the nearest thousandth of an inch. And not only that, every single component that we make or we buy is 100% inspected. Um, and it has to, it has to meet the, the specs, but not only that, uh, every valve we sell has a, a data book. And basically that data book has the entire certification and document package for every component that went into that valve, including um, even parts that are machined out of raw material. It goes all the way back to the material uh, testing at the mill where it was made. So if there is ever a failure, they can go back and, and they see, okay, well, this part failed. Let's look at it. They can trace that single component from the field back to CHP, back to our center, uh, back to the vendor that made it, all the machining processes, back through the inspection and all the way back to the actual raw material data from the, from the mill. So it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. So yeah, I'm, I'm the procurement manager for that. And I have a, a team of uh, five people that, that report to me that we do, we do the procurement for those for this component. Gotcha. Wow, that, that's a lot. I guess what what's the transition been like for you going from the field to working more in office and, and dealing with like procurement and things like that? Is that something you saw yourself yes. doing? No, it really initially got with the company. No, it really wasn't. I thought I thought I would uh, stay either in the field or uh, maybe go to technical design for frac. Um, but that being said, at least in the US, your common frack uh, is, is it's very cookie cutter, right? Once they find what works in a particular formation and area, it's just it's just copy paste from from this well to that well, and you just go down the down the road. Um, so in terms of design, there wasn't really a whole lot of design. There's you know, and e even when I was in the field, we only had a handful of uh, offices that did the, the fracturing design. Um, so I thought that's what I was going to do, or I thought I'd say in operations, but, uh, you know, in, like I said, the 2015 downturn hit, we went from, I think it was, I think we had like 140 frat crews in North America uh, at our lowest, uh, at the end of 2015, I think we were down to like 24, 24 crews in North America. Um, and which is a lot of people, man, a, a crew is three shifts, a day shift, a night shift, and a shift that's on days off. And that's two supervisors, a dozen operators and two engineers per shift right so or they're about um that's what you need so that's a lot of people um so at that time it was like i'll take anything just don't don't lay me off I, I need the job and uh so yeah so then that's when i went down to to houston which is where i still am but i i will definitely say i think i think everyone should work in the oil field for a year or two i i really do i think i think everyone because it makes you appreciate the office right so if you remember i said you know when I was in college, I was like I was sitting behind a desk, you know, and hating my life all day, every day. Trust mm -hmm. me, I, you know, once I left the field, me, me coming into an air conditioned office building and sitting behind a computer for eight hours, I was like, man, this ain't work. This is, this is, I'm, I'm coming <laughs> to vacation. This is, this is easy. Right. 
you know, because, you know, when you're in the field, you know, my minimum day was 14 hours and it was two weeks on, one week off. It was either day shift or night shift, but it was a minimum of 14 hours either way. And, uh, you know, in the summer, uh, you know, it's a, it, there were days where it hit over 110 degrees and then you're out in the, you know, you're outside with all these big rigs, all this equipment that's running. And if that exhaust blows over you, we were measuring temperatures of over 140 degrees on some pieces of equipment when the, when the, when the exhaust, when the wind would blow the exhaust over the, the working decks. We have to rotate guys in and out every like 10 minutes um, and get everyone cooled off and drink tons of fluids and ice and everything. Um, but then at night, you know, in the winter, um, you know, where I was working in Oklahoma, which I worked everywhere, all over the South, Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Kansas. Um, but, you know, there were nights during the winter where it was negative five and, you know, you're standing, you know, your guys are standing outside and it's just, you're, you're bundled up, you know, you got layers on underneath your fireproof coveralls. Um, you know, when it rains, you get wet, when it snows, you know, you get, you get, you get snowed on. Um, and, you know, there's always, you know, cause there's so much water everywhere, you know, the inevitably the, the location typically gets muddy. So you're trudging through mud, you're carrying stuff, you're working, you know, you're burning probably 4,000 calories a day just doing physical labor. Um, so no, I, 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 you know, and that, that, that was for frack, right? I mean, every, everyone has, you know, different, different experiences, depending on what you were doing in the oil field. But I, th I think everyone should work in the oil field for at least a year or two, because I eat you know, mm. out in the field, like actually working, because you will appreciate how easy your life is. Cause like, like when I was, when I was in, uh, when I was in the procurement center in Houston, we hired a lot of uh, people straight out of, out of college, straight out of the university mm -hmm. of Houston for supply chain and procurement. And, and those people, uh, you know, those, those guys and girls that come in, they, they would just, they would complain about everything. It was, it's so funny. And I had to tell them like, you don't understand, like you got it good. This is nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess it, it it's funny when when you say that I, I I have a similar sentiment with just having an appreciation for how things are made, especially being able to work in the field and kind of seeing things firsthand. Like now I'm I'm working um in a soils capacity, like doing geotechnical work, oh, no. going out doing borings with the guys and um like classifying soils and and things like that. And it, it seems like just all the way from college or even before college, like doing landscaping, doing a lot of things mm -hmm. that are laborious. It, to your point, it helps you kind of appreciate like just that hard work. And um, it's, it's cool to hear you echo that because I, I think sometimes it's, I don't, maybe you could tell me what's your perspective on this. Do you think that people that either don't have that background or haven't done that work before, they, they don't know what to appreciate or do you see other people that are like, like um new people that you hired do you you think they have like a um do you think they look down on people that do like manual labor work or oh yeah you... I, absolutely i mean i think it's a big thing in, in in our society um and it has been for for decades now uh i mean there's so many you know i i can for my parents and 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 uh, uh, our generation, but it was, you know, you know, in our high school, you know, the, the guidance counselors, right? They, you know, what do they do? They, they had a couple of different paths for you. Your path was either pre-college or pre-military, or you were just going to be poor 
white trash and do drugs and get in trouble with the law. I mean, uh, like, like those are your three path options effectively. Right. And, you know, and I say that somewhat hyperbolically, I mean, there was some, you know, trade type stuff, but you know, you don't need, you don't need a college degree anymore. I, I really don't, not for most things. Right. Um, I, cause I remember, you know, in Georgia, right. I, I remember, um, I think it was Kennesaw state, right. Uh, in, in Kennesaw, they, they were producing a thousand, uh, psychology majors per year, graduating 1000 psychology majors per year. The state of Georgia, forget this, there aren't a thousand psychology positions in the U.S. that open every year, much less the state of Georgia, right? So what are those people going to do, right? Like, okay, cool, you've learned a lot of neat psychology and or or whatever your degree is. There's no demand for it. So what are you going to end up doing, right? You're taking on debt for, for effectively no reason. Um, and then, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of open positions in the country for diesel mechanics, for welders, machinists, fabricators, electricians, plumbers, HVAC, carpenters. And it's, um, yeah, no, the trades are definitely looked down upon. And and you don't necessarily need a college degree for that. I mean, it might help, it might be nice, but you don't necessarily need it. And then when, you know, because there's so many open positions, right? Because there's so many open positions, the, you know, the companies that need them, they're offering really, really good wages, even if it, even if you're not a part of a, of a union, right? Um, but nobody, uh, I don't say nobody, but, you know, a lot of people don't want to do it. They don't, they look down on it. You know, they're like, oh, well, I want to go work in an office, right? You know, and, and at least, uh, you know, and I would say, so my parents, my mom, she was a drafter. She was a, you know, for mechanical engineering. She could have been an engineer if she wanted. She learned to draw on paper before AutoCAD even existed. And my dad was a carpenter and then he became a welder and a machinist. And he was practically an engineer as well. So they were like the, the working class engineer, right? The, you know, who appreciated that kind of work. And so I definitely think they instilled that, that value in me, those values in me. And, you know, they told me like, look, you want to go to college? We'll send you to college, but you're going to get a degree that you can actually do something with, Right. And yeah, and so when I initially went to college, I originally wanted to do aerospace. And, uh, you know, I actually through half a stance, I met an engineer who worked for NASA. And he told me his experience at NASA and, and dealing with the aerospace industry, Boeing and, and the other big company, Lockheed Martin. He's like, man, he's like, you know, there's 40 guys who are competing for a 40K a year job. And you got to be the best of the best to even get a chance at it. And then, you know, my first year, my first semester of college, I almost flunked out. So I quickly realized I was not as intelligent as I thought I was. You know, I slept through high school uh, and I never learned how to study in high school. And I very quickly flunked or almost flunked out my first semester because I didn't know how to study. I had to teach myself. And, uh, and then so I was like, OK, well, let me re, let me reprioritize what I think and what I like. And that's what then I take civil. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it's. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely down upon. I I um I love uh I, I don't I don't follow him, but I see him a lot. Uh, Mike Rowe, you know, from Dirty Jobs. You know, I've seen him on yeah. various podcasts and everything, and he's he's absolutely right. I mean, people people look down, and those those are the things, those are the jobs and trades that people need. And even even forgetting the job, the trade. You know, I work. I'm a I'm a procurement manager, and my my team are procurement specialists. I could teach a high school freshman. To do my job, I, and I'm not even kidding, right? 
Like I'm not doing complex math. I'm not doing calculus or linear algebra. I'm doing basic Excel stuff, right? If you have basic office skills, you have time management, you have a, a desire to do well, Hell, the fact that you care at all, uh, I tell people, like, if you care at all, you are automatically better than 50% of other employees and workers, just, just by the mere fact that you care. Um, you know, and I'm not kidding. I could teach a ninth grader to do my job. I could teach a ninth grader to do my people's job, right? If they're, you know, above average of intelligence and have basic computer skills. And the biggest thing is critical thinking, critical thinking, reasoning, uh, being able to be, act and think logically, you know, get to the root cause of problems and how do we fix, how do we brainstorm and fix them and improve them? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I, I would say, outside of doctors, lawyers, and like hard, like, like real engineering, which is probably what you're doing, and the like structural engineering, you know, those kind of things, you, you don't need a college degree, you don't. I mean, maybe some people in finance, some people in accounting, but I, I would say 90% of the jobs in the US, you don't need a degree, yeah. you really don't. <laughs> I guess, what, what would you say you enjoyed about your, your college experience? Um, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, that's, that's funny. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, other than the people I met, I mean, that, that, that was really about it, right? The people I met, uh, people I hung out with. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, because the classes, I mean, the classes were fun sometimes, but a lot of times it was, it was a ton of work. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of look back on college. I'm like, man, I wasted a lot of time doing that. I mean, and I don't say I wasted it, but at the same time, it's like the the only reason that a lot of people get a degree is to put it on a resume, right? Because once you get in somewhere and you put it on, you know, your resume has work experience, that's what matters. Um, hell, is freaking Elon Musk doesn't even have a lot of the positions that Elon Musk hires. He he hires people who don't even have engineering or co uh, college degrees right. for some of his stuff, right? So yeah, it's it's just a at least I, I can't speak for everyone. You know, I'm glad you're using your degree for me. It's it's just a piece of paper that's hung on my office at work. And it, <laughs> it allowed me to get hired and in, in the door, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's funny because for me, it seems like um, it almost seemed like a love-hate relationship in a sense. And oh, yeah. Like, I'd almost say not to just <laughs> continue bashing college, but it was it was definitely difficult for me. And it seemed like at some point it was, yeah. it was almost like you, you got out of a bad relationship and you're almost like battered <laughs> up. You're like, well, Hey, I, I got, I got the job. I'm making some money. I can pay back the money I borrowed. And yeah. it, for some reason it, it's, it's like, I, I have a better appreciation for it. Like some mm -hmm. spending more time away from it. But like initially it was kind of like, uh it's all right but it, it was cool like you said meeting meeting the people we yeah. met and doing things like building the steel bridge being yeah. able to have like that that hand hands-on experience and just um just having exposure to different things being able to travel and like and other yeah. things like that and also just having like that kind of melting pot where you have people come from different backgrounds and, yeah. and just even different parts of georgia I, I will say, actually, now that you just reminded me of it, I think probably my favorite part was the steel bridge and 
working in the machine shop with uh with andy he yeah. he, he, he was he was a hoot um but yeah no learning how to use uh, the you know mills and lathes and welding and stuff like actually that was probably that's probably my favorite part um but no i mean and, and you know to 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 debt right you're talking about having to pay off your stuff right lord knows i got very lucky i got so lucky because i had the hope scholarship which paid for my tuition all but for like the last year um and you know i was an only child and my parents busted their ass for me um and i was you know so because i was the only child um you know we, we weren't they weren't rich by any means and very middle class but once i hit uh, once i hit eighth grade my my mom and dad were putting back two hundred dollars a week uh until i finished college and that was for to pay for my stuff and that was enough that it was able to pay for my last year of tuition and my living expenses while i was at georgia tech um so i was very fortunate i got out i got out without any debt and i know many many people have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt um yeah. and they, they don't realize how crippling it is yeah so i uh, it, unfortunately it's it's it, it's uh, it, it's basically economics right uh and a lot of people because yeah. if you've heard a lot about like the the two tuition rates increasing every single year unfortunately that is primarily due to the federal government um they so it this dates back decades right with, with student loans right because mm -hmm. you know if you look at a college you know even if you account for inflation of, of the currency you know if you look back in the 50s 60s 70s college tuition and books were cheap i mean that, that's how you hear that's like that's like how the you know the meme about the boomers who were able to go to college and pay for it you know by working at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason and a lot of people don't realize this, right? Colleges started charging more and more and more. Well, well, why? Because the federal government started doing student loans. So here's the thing: if you're a college, whether they realize this or not, whether it's conscious or unconscious, right? And then so the federal government says, "Hey, uh, student, we're gonna we're going to uh, give you we're gonna cover thousand dollars a semester for tuition, okay? Uh, in this mm -hmm. loan, right? It's a federal loan; you can pay it back. You know, there's you know all the programs. Well, what does the college do? Uh, oh, it's a thousand bucks guaranteed. Okay, well, guess what? Tuition is now two thousand dollars. Now you mm -hmm. still another thousand. And so basically, what it does is, when whenever whenever the whenever the federal government and it, says hey we'll cover this amount of cost that piece of cost get get baked into the tuition cost and the college cost directly and so right. and so you get this vicious this vicious feedback loop right so it's a thousand dollars in I don't know, 1970 and then 1980 it was ten thousand dollars or, or or maybe five thousand in 1990 it was ten thousand and then and then early 2000s when we went to school it was 15 because i remember it was like 17 grand tuition mm -hmm. for one semester at order tech which is like really cheap at the time i mean like it was like it or maybe 17 grand for the year i don't remember but it's there's 17 grand for a semester or two semesters yeah but yeah. it was it, georgia tech was consistently rated like the highest you know value per your money but i mean even right. that is obscene right so you get this vicious feedback loop and and basically the, it's the government saying hey yeah we'll, we'll you know yeah college will pay you this 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 money right because you know right. ash is going to get a loan from us and he's gonna pay it back at low rates, whatever. But then the government will only let you get so much, right? And mm -hmm. so then you have to go to private lenders to get other, to get additional funds. And mm -hmm. 
and college doesn't care, right? The college, you know, it's not just Georgia Tech, it's all colleges. I mean, it's, they don't care. They're, you know, they're getting their money, right? So, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll take this free guaranteed money. And, and it's unfortunately, I think it's anytime the government sticks their nose in the shit, it, they, they make it worse. Yeah, that tends to happen. But I'll, one thing, I guess, before we get too far down the road, one question mm-hmm. I always like to ask um, sure. every person that comes on is, who do you say you are? It's kind of a, yeah, that or also a background on yourself. I am a massive walking contradiction, um, is what I would say. Um, I don't think I don't think you would be able to. to it, it's really easy to to judge someone. I think by the you know judge a book by its cover, right? And say, oh, you look like this. You you talk about these things. So I know who you are, right? And, and you know, and it's everyone forms perceptions based off what they see, what they hear, what they don't see, and what they don't hear. Um, but no, for me, I would say I'm definitely a walking contradiction, right? So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist. I, I, I grew up religious. I'm an atheist. I became an atheist in college and then I will be an atheist until I die. I, because logically that's where my brain ended up at. I opened Pandora's box. I can't close that box anymore. And so I, I try not to. So, so, you know, when I say I'm a contradiction, right? So if you ever run into atheists in the past, or I know I was guilty of this when I was younger in college, I was like, oh, I'm smarter than everyone. And oh, I'm going to, I'm going to convince people that, you know, the religion and God isn't real and everything. And then as I got older, I quickly realized like, that's, that's something that I don't have the right to take away from people. So like, I'll talk to people about it and I'll tell them like, look, you want to debate? Sure. We'll go ahead debate. But I give a disclaimer because I say, look, I can make you really question your beliefs and I don't want to destroy your beliefs and your faith because I don't want to take that from you. Because um, there, w- there was a couple of people in college that I absolutely destroyed their faith. And I, that's something I feel guilty about to this day. Um, and I very quickly realized like, that's not my right to do that to, to, to people, whether they, they say, oh, it's like, oh, yeah. So when I say I'm a, a contradiction, I'm not like that that atheist that you're going to see on Reddit who's like, you know, an angry lefty atheist, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm very, I don't think, I'm not conservative. You ever watch Parks and Rec? Uh, you know, Ron yeah, Swanson, yeah. Ron Swanson, mm-hmm. the libertarian. Ron Swanson is my spirit animal. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, very, you know, libertarian, uh, constant, I'm a constitutionalist um, or a, a classical liberal. Um, mm-hmm which we can get into that as, as well. Um, so that's kind of my religious and political views. Uh, you know, as far as my personal life, um, you know, like I said, I lived here in Houston. I met my wife at, when I was living in Oklahoma, uh, working for Schlumberger there. Uh, we started dating there. We got married in uh, 2016. And, uh, you know, people look at me and, they, you know, they might think one way or another, but, you know, mm-hmm. my wife, Courtney, she's originally from Bermuda. Right. So it's, you know, an island straight out in the ocean due, uh, due east of Atlanta by about 800 miles. Um, and she's, she's brown. She's her, her father was black. Her mother was white. Um, you know, so, you know, people might look at me and think, oh, you're just another white guy from the U S and, you know, you're from the South and whatever, but, you know, she's my wife. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think I'm a contradiction. Um, I have, you know, I'm very, 
ADHD. I, I'm, I'm on the autism spectrum. I finally got diagnosed uh, last year, um, which I may not act like it, but I, I quickly realized that uh, growing up as a kid, I, I learned to quote unquote act normal, to act extroverted, you know, in school, in college, in work. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm, I'm actually an extreme introvert, but if you notice, I'm talking a lot and that's my defense mechanism and me, uh, acting. Right. So, so for me, when I manage people, right. So I had a team of 22 people when I was in accounts payable, I have a team of five people now in procurement. Um, you know, I interact with a ton of people for me, it's mentally draining at the end of every day. I'm mentally just exhausted because I'm, I'm putting on an act for eight or 10 hours. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's kind of, I'd say me in a, in a nutshell. So yeah, I don't know. Cool. I, I always like the, and everyone's answer because it's always unique. And yeah, I mean, you, you can't answer wrong about who you are or who you say you are because it's, that's you and how you define yourself and how you present yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So I, I guess what, what's something you, um, you've gained over the last two years, like obviously you've had 2020 that came up. Now we're in 2022 kind of just, Mm -hmm. um, I guess some people are going through the motions. Some people are making the best of what they've got kind of looking forward to new opportunities and things like that. What, what's it been like for you? Um, I'm not going to lie, man. I, so being effectively an office worker, uh, once the, once COVID hit, we started working from home. Uh, I started working from home March of 2020. And I've effectively, like I took, so March 2020, we started working from home. And then I took this position as procurement manager the following month, April. Mm-hmm. I was the procurement manager for this center. And I never even stepped foot in it until uh, beginning of November of this year. We, they mm-hmm. finally let office workers go back uh, into it. And, you know, I understand, right? You know, we yeah, had a yeah. couple of instances where we had to shut down a production shift for two weeks to quarantine people. And, you know, we're making, you know, we're a hundred million dollar center per year, right? So that really hits, right? So the guys that got to be there, you got to wear, you know, your your mask, you got to social distance, you got to do, uh, you know, all of this stuff. So anyone who could do their job from home, we were required to do our job from home. So for me, mm-hmm. I, and I'm still working from home, more or less, right? So Started in January with the Omicron variant. Um, they said, all right, go back to working from home. And so we worked from home the whole month of January and we just went back uh, on the, the 7th. Um, but I've actually been working from home since Tuesday. Well, I say working from home since Tuesday because I'm pretty sure I got COVID. <laughs> I went two years without getting it. And then yeah. uh, this past Monday night, I came home and I just, I just crashed and I slept, I slept for like 36 hours out of two days out of 48 hours. I slept 36 and I felt terrible. Um, so I, I'm working from home. Uh, I started working from home this week and I'll probably be working from home next week. And then once I get a negative test, I can go back. But, um, but no, working from home for two years is for me was just soul crushing. Um, mm-hmm. At first is for some people, they really like it, right? You got kids, you got things you need to take care of. It's really great. Um, for mm-hmm. me, um, at first, like, oh, okay, this is cool. Da, da, da. But the problem is, like, it's, I felt like it really created bad habits working from home all day, every day, because it's like, you know, when you're going to work, you know, you got to get up, you got to, you know, take care of yourself, groom yourself, do your morning routine, get dressed, drive to work. For me, 
if I've got an 8 a.m. meeting, I sleep until 7.45, get up, throw on some clothes, fix my coffee, and I sit down. And because, you know, nine, you know, nine times out of 10, we're not using cameras, doesn't matter what I look like. I can be wearing pajamas. I can, and, you know, that kind of routine, it, it's, I think it's really necessary for a lot of people's mental health. And for me, especially, um, I, I really missed the, the commutes, right? My commute is an hour each way. Uh, in Houston traffic. It's like 27 miles. Um, yeah. And a lot of people are like, man, that's horrible. And yes, that's a lot of time. But I can, you know, what, previously what I was doing is I would listen to music, I would listen to podcasts, I would listen to audio books in my drive. And that would be my de-stress and, and moment time. And it would also let me like decouple, right? It, 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 it creates a, a very stringent barrier between work life and home life, right? Mm. So when I get home, Work is done. I'm, I'm, I'm at home now, right? But when you're working yeah. from home all day and my commute is, uh, I don't know, 75 feet to my bed down the hall, um, you know, there's, there's no separation, right? And because I'm sitting here in my computer chair and then you know, I have a desktop and, you know, if I'm working and then I want to play a video game on my computer, guess what? Mm -hmm. I, I turn off my work laptop and, and now I'm sitting here. So like, so much of my time has been in this chair in the last two years. And it's, and that lack of separation is really bad. The, I mean, the other thing too, is a lot of people don't realize this. And I think a lot of managers, a lot of companies started to realize this for their home employees, right? Well, if you're a good employee and you actually care about your job and you're trying to get things done and, you know, make your life better, make your lives of your coworkers better. You know, if I'm in traffic for two hours a day, that's two hours a day. I'm not working. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's really easy to say, Oh, well, Okay. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind working to six, right? Especially if you're salary, right? Your salary or right. hourly, right? Oh, I don't mind working till six, right? So people were actually mm -hmm. being, you know, we were being more productive working from home. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good thing in a lot of cases, but for two years of it, it just, it mentally just destroyed. So like for me, I, I actually, um, actually started seeing a, 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 a psychologist, um, mm -hmm. because like I needed it. I needed, I needed to talk to people and, and, got put on some uh i got put on lexapro which helped with my depression because like i'm not gonna lie man i people are not meant to sit all day every day in a chair and you know just work it's just not you know biologically evolutionary that's not what people are it's not what we're supposed to be yeah. um so so now that we're going back we're actually going back on a, a flex schedule where we mm -hmm. do three days a week in the office and two days a week at home and nice. so our teams are split half and half you know monday tuesday wednesday in the office or wednesday thursday friday in the office and then for managers we we have tuesday wednesday thursday in the office and then we work from home Mondays and Fridays, which for me i think is the best of both worlds i'm not driving every day but i am you know some days um and you know it makes things nice because then it's like okay well if i need to you know schedule a doctor's appointment or whatever i do it on mondays or fridays and it, it makes it a lot easier you know that kind of stuff so i think that's the best of both worlds so that yeah i, I would say covid besides gaining weight because i've been a lazy ass sitting on my, my butt uh for two years in this chair um no i mean it's like you know i think i think a lot of i mean the a lot of people were going through it. depression anxiety uh health issues i mean we're not we're not humans are not meant to to live like this yeah and i mean to your to your point like 
uh, it, it shows you real quick how important routines are. And even oh, like, absolutely. if, if things get stagnant, like the need to, to be able to switch things up from time to yeah. time and like, just like the simple act of being able to like get up and go, whether it's, it's yeah. like through the commute or it's through something else, it's that, that thing's big. And even, I think it, it's really big what you mentioned about like just the simple fact of getting up in the morning, going through a morning routine, prepping to get yeah. to work, get out of the house. Like that goes a long way because it, it's like if you, it, when you start letting go of simple things like self care, self grooming, yeah, like personal hygiene, like that little thing it goes so through bad. everything else. Yeah, it just it, it just snowballs just it just one thing after another because even now I'm looking through my stuff and having moved recently, I'm looking around like I'm pretty sure I had clothes before and I'm like, where are half of my clothes? And I'm like, Well, I guess I probably need to go just shop for some more pants this week, get some different <laughs> shirts or something. It's like it yeah. doesn't have to be a lot, but it, it needs to be something to where it's like okay obviously you've got your work clothes but you've got home clothes you can wear and you have something you can just wear to get out and just even if it's you've got to drive across the state or something like that just finding an activity and like even forcing myself to do an activity to say like i'm gonna go do this just to say i i did something because like as much as I could sit a day at home mm-hmm. and just watch YouTube or be on everything at, at the uh, convenience of yeah. my fingertips, it's like it, it only goes so far to where it's like, okay, well, of it, all the, it, yeah, it, of all the it, things it, I could have consumed. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's anxiety boredom. I mean, like I had, I had a game on my phone that I was spending stupid money on. Uh, it was like one of the stupid mobile games and I still have it on my phone. Um, but I, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't touched it since November. Um, and, it, you know, and, you know, I, I tried it, you know, I don't even go on Facebook anymore. I go on Instagram maybe once a day. I don't have TikTok. I, my, uh, you know, it's, it's those choices of, you know, what are you going to do? Cause it's like, you know, it's real easy to just sit there and scroll and the whole, you know, scroll through Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And before you know it, your whole day is, is shot and you feel bad for having done it and it's, it's that it's that, that, that it's that social engineered dopamine hit that social media companies want you to get and keep you know, how do we do engagement oh scroll 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 so, yeah. and before you know it you know you've lost six out like here's here's something that i realized i was really bad at i would procrastinate from my procrastination right so what i mean by that is like maybe i needed to do some chores i need to do laundry do the dishes you know clean up the kitchen whatever and i said well eh, i'll do that i'll do that on sunday today on saturday i'm gonna play one of my video games that i want to play but then i'd wake up in the morning and without even realizing i'd go on instagram and youtube and watch random crap and before i know it i've lost three or four hours I would procrastinate from playing a video game that I really like due to social media. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you know, when I was a kid, I always thought it was funny. Like there were, there were parents who like wouldn't let their kids watch TV because, and, and I didn't understand that because as a child, you know, I watched history channel and, and discovery channel TLC back when they actually had good, like educational content, you know, like documentaries yeah. and stuff. And so for me, I was like, why would my parents take that away from me? But other parents wouldn't take that away from their kids. They would take away, you know, st- 
stupid crap cartoons that had no real value. And so now I'm thinking like, you know, if when we ever have kids, now it's like my my kid is not having a smartphone. I absolutely refuse. You you get you get the jitterbug when you turn 16 and you start driving. Like I, I do not want you on a smart connected device just rotting your brain on Instagram and TikTok. I mean, because it, I mean, there's so many issues with that. But yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 not it, it, it's it's teaching our society to be, I want it now. I want it quick. I'll, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have patience. And even I'm guilty of it. If I'm watching a 10 minute YouTube video and I'm a minute in and it bores me, I'll turn it off and I'll go to another one. Right. And I think it's, it's the whole Twitter thing of 140 characters and, you know, that quick 30 second video on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. But yeah, no, it's, yeah. We're, how do we get here? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm trying to to remember. Oh, I think we were talking about um, just what what's happened within the last two years oh, and kind oh, of yeah. how how we've managed getting through it. Which I mean, it's yeah. I think a lot of like a lot of what we're saying, a lot of what you're saying. It I I definitely echo that. And it's funny because at, at times I felt I find myself just I, <clears throat> I took a break from from work for a bit and dealing with the personal and then even like getting myself to go back to to work and doing something Mm -hmm. local that wasn't engineering related was almost it was a win for a bit where for about a period of 10 months i worked at home depot and i was working in their um uh what do they call it like their merchandising department where basically at night you tear down parts of the stores and kind of Mm -hmm. rebuild it back up and like just Mm -hmm having that chance to interact with people and work with your hands, it's like, man, you, you forget how much you miss whenever you don't have it and kind of what yeah. you what you try to make up with it. It's like, oh, like, yes, there's benefits to being an introvert, but also it's, it's like just being around good quality people like I'm able to yeah. be around now. Like you, you definitely feel at times like, okay, you could do without the person that's always being an a-hole and just like yeah, yeah of course they just they just want to always like pick at you but sometimes i guess you kind of mm-hmm. learn to appreciate that like oh, okay like this person is maybe picking at me like maybe they need something too and even mm-hmm. if it's for me I'm, I'm not an only child but having like multiple family members it's like you interact from time to time but even being away and being able to come together for family events and things like that it's nice to have those interactions from time to time but other times you're like ah maybe i'll just stay over here on my side and then when you connect with somebody that stuff you were going through you might think oh i was just going through this on my own but then other people are kind of going through the same thing. As, and every, like, everyone wow. has their own thing, man. Everyone. I mean, and you don't know what other people are going through, right? right. Um, you know, and, and evolutionarily, right? We all, you know, as human beings, we form judgments and pre, preconceptions based, like I said, what we see, what we don't see. And that's a survival trait from millions of years of evolution. I, you know, and, but you never know what someone's going through. So I always, you know, I like that old phrase of, you know, the old saying of don't attribute to malice that which can be attributed to ignorance, right? Like don't, don't assume someone's just being mean to you for, for the sake of it or, you know, stuff like that, you know? So, I mean, you never know what people are going through. 
treat people nice, treat them with respect, you know, golden rule, you know. Um, but one thing you did say there about, you know, the merchandise and about tearing things down and rebuilding it, I bet that felt good. Like, was like when you were done and you could stand back and look, but, oh, I did that, right? You, you can yeah. see your work. And I think that's something a lot of people, a lot of people don't, I think that's something a lot of people take for granted now. Um, you know, going back to like trades, right? You know, if you build yeah. a house or, or you, you machine a part or you weld a thing or, you know, something like that. You can, when you're done, you can stand back and you can look at it and say, look, I did that. I made a thing. I did a thing. I fixed a thing. And that's very, that's very mentally satisfying and rewarding. Whereas, yeah. you know, and that's one thing that I found, you know, in this role for, you know, two years working from home, it was just, you know, I was instrumental for lack of a better word in, in getting these valves assembled and put together and, and shipped. And these are, you know, quarter million dollar valves and, and everything. But, you know, working from home for two years, I didn't see it. It was just, a, it was just a number on a screen, right? It was just a, you know, for if you're in finance or accounting, all you're seeing is just numbers on a screen, you know, and yes, you're instrumental in what you're doing and you're helping build things and do things and being productive, but there's something, it, it, it's, it's not tangible. You can't touch it. Right. And so like, you know, when you're saying like, Hey, I, I tore this down and we rebuilt it, like you're able to stand back and look at it. And like, if you want, you can actually get, go and put your hand on it and touch it. Right. And I think yeah. that's something a lot of people really are lacking in their lives and if if you're not you know maybe you can't do that in your job right maybe you know maybe maybe you're a person who works in finance or accounting and you deal with spreadsheets all day right but i think you know starting a garden uh doing landscaping you know getting a hobby where you're like building something or you know doing something where like you can actually stop and look back and say ah i did that right like, I think, I think a lot of people in, in especially in, not just in the U.S., but in modern society in general are lacking that in their lives. Um, yeah. I, I think that's something I think that a lot of people should really do. Because, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're not a person who likes to go to the gym and work out. But, you know, if every weekend you're outside doing something, you know, landscaping, gardening, building something, you know, get out there and do stuff. Um I think is really good. The only other, the big thing that I did um, in the last two years to really get through COVID is uh, I started really helping my wife cooking. Um, so in the last two years, it's, it's honestly my, one of my favorite things to do now. Um, she'll come home from work and I'll already be in the kitchen chopping and dicing onions and mushrooms and veggies and getting stuff ready. And then she'll come in and uh, you know, help, help her cook. She'll, you know, she'll either be like, you know, she, we do everything, uh, curry, uh, Indian curries, uh, Chinese, uh, Japanese, Korean styles of various Asian foods. Um, she'll do French foods. Uh, you know, we've really gotten into like, um, a couple of really good YouTubers, um, who teach you how to do YouTube, uh, foods and stuff like that. Um, I've gotten really big into, uh, I got a pit boss smoker pellet grill. So I do all the meats. I do barbecue and stuff now. So we're always cooking something, something healthy, something good. And in all honesty, that talk about doing something with your hands, do that, right? I mean, it is not hard. It is not that expensive to do it. It's, it's like when you're when you're buying food from a restaurant, you're paying for the service. You're not paying for the food, right? So if you take away the the cost of the service of them doing it, I we, I eat, I eat a $20 meal every night for dinner. 
if I went out and bought it. But at home, it cost me four bucks in ingredients for a serving. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something a lot of people should look into. There's a there's a guy on YouTube. Um, his name is Joshua Weissman. He's mm -hmm. got a where he does several series of foods. He's a professional chef, and he does a series called But Better where he'll go to like, you know, he'll go to Chick-fil-A, he'll get their chicken sandwich. And he's like, here's their chicken sandwich. I want to make it, but better. And he shows you how to do it and he breaks it down. And then he's got another series called But Cheaper. And he breaks down the cost per serving. And so it's meant for like, I mean, for everyone, but like, especially like, you know, if you're a college student, you don't got a lot of cash, right? And you, you, I, I remember there was a lot of times where I ate crappy, I ate terrible packaged ramen, right? Just like every other college student. But he, you know, he's like, here's a butt cheaper ramen that you can make at home. And it's like, it's actually filling, right? And so we, we learned him, we learned about him. And then um, there's, a, there's a girl on YouTube, her name is Beryl. And she does uh, food videos where it's, uh, she, she'll reach out to her followers and say, give me your, give me your egg recipe. Give me your oatmeal recipe. Give me your what it, you know, give me your recipe for this or that. Your how do you use mushrooms? How do you use onions? And what she does in each video is she'll have like anywhere from like five to eight recipes, but they're from around the world, right? So you're learning like, okay, well, this is how this is an onion recipe from the US, and this is an onion recipe from Turkey, and this is an onion recipe from Brazil, and this is one from, you know, and so like some of my favorite things now are things that I would have never had otherwise. And it's just because we watched that. So the last two years, I've I've survived thanks to to food and cooking and, and learning to cook. <laughs> hey, that's that's not a bad thing. It's it's funny. I'm trying to get into yeah, get back into cooking myself mm -hmm. now. And it's uh, a few more times. I guess I've opted for the option of getting something quick or something not as healthy, like a, yeah. a tray of cooking. It's like well, when you kind of look down and you start to see your gut. It's like, yeah. well, this might not be a long-term solution. So no, just, not. just uh, making the small efforts, like getting meats or getting like vegetables and stuff ahead yeah. of time and just saying, okay, I've, I'm going to make sure that I cook this. Otherwise it's going to go mm -hmm. bad. And then that's not going to be good for anyone, but it, it, it is good to, it has been good to do this, even though it's not like physically with my hands, but mm -hmm. it's, it's also mentally it's mentally physically or, nourishing right it, and also physically like nourishes it, you, but also mentally yeah and and even after doing so many it's like mm -hmm. there's that challenge of like okay of remembering why you're doing it like being mm -hmm. able to catch up with yourself and actually put in the effort to have a conversation yeah. versus like sharing it with people and just being like well i don't know if it's working okay, it's taking this much more energy, it's taking this much. And then it's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, the goal isn't just necessarily to make it's, it necessarily, but it's like, it's not, it's, the destination, that, it, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. But, it, cliche. It's, <laughs> but I mean, that, that, that um, it's like that cliche among other things. It's a lot of times it, it's, it's one thing to, to hear it, but whenever you get it and you're actually like enjoying the journey, it's one of those things where it's the days where it seems like, oh, this is, this is fun. Or the days where it's like, huh, like now I can think back and be like, oh, remember that time I was talking with Levi and then I was yeah. driving over here and I was like, hey, you know what? I decided to get up, get out and go to the best of 
what I could do that day. And I didn't sit and obsess for a period of time. And it's like, yeah. even if I couldn't do something before, because I was, I was sick, mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, I was able to get better, mm -hmm. get back out and just do a little bit more. And it, yeah, I, I guess, go ahead. No, no, for real. Check out Joshua Weissman and uh, mm -hmm. on YouTube and the other girl, her, her name is Beryl. I forget her last name, but B-E-R-Y-L. Um, mm -hmm. Their recipes are simple. You can, anyone can do them. If you, can, if, if you, if you screw it up, you, there, there's no hope for you. Um, the recipes are simple and they're, they're really delicious. And it's, you know, it, you know, here in Houston, if, if you're in Atlanta, I'm sure you have, you know, specialty grocery stores, but here in Houston, we have mm -hmm. Asian grocery stores. We have, there's a place called Phoenicia, which is like a Greek Mediterranean, Eastern European grocery store. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Indian grocery stores. We have African grocery stores. So whatever ingredient you need or want, you can find it here. And you want to talk yeah. about satisfying you know, it's, you, you know how you always feel depressed when you're like, oh, I didn't finish that. And it went bad in the fridge. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't really have that problem anymore because whatever we have, we'll find a way to use it. But you want to talk about yeah. satisfying is like buying like this really like niche ingredient, right? Like, like oyster sauce or, or a soy sauce or a special like a spice, right. For, for like an Indian curry or something and you use it before it goes bad like you use the whole like you know you got a 16 ounce or eight ounce bottle of oyster sauce you're like mm, yeah use that for like two different things right but you know when you actually complete that whole bottle before it goes bad it's like a badge of honor right like you're like hey no that's because i cooked i use this cooking so many different things in different ways that is that is mentally and emotionally satisfying yeah. so that, that that's I, definitely I'm, helped in covid <laughs> i i'm definitely gonna give that a shot tomorrow because yeah. i i i got some uh, i think i got some chicken wings or drumsticks and yeah. i think i got some ground beef and something like that so yeah. i'll look them up and definitely come up with something to cook oh because yeah I, for sure i just want a hearty meal and i mean i i appreciate being able yeah. to order out last week and just that coming through and just being like okay just get the food in you and oh yeah i mean we still do that yeah <laughs> yeah i don't yeah uh i mean for sure i mean i ate chick-fil-a twice this week and it's what it is right but <laughs> uh but yeah no i mean and and joshua he actually has a best-selling cookbook uh he was like the number one cookbook on amazon for a couple of months um yeah so check him out for sure very cool yeah. But um, I won't keep you too long. I just wanted to yeah. uh, say thank you very much for the time. And I hope sure. you get to do this again very soon. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have me back. Yeah. We'll talk about other fun stuff. Politics, religion. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll piss off at least half your audience. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have anything going on online or offline where you want people to connect with you? I, I have a very minimal online presence. Uh, it's my Instagram and Facebook and that's it. Uh, other than that, no, not really. I'm <laughs> gotcha. Well, no problem. That, the thing that's always important is just being able to have the conversation. And sure. what's funny is I, I forget how hot um, my car can get. So I got a warning message from my phone saying, Hey, <laughs> it's, it's overheating. So I'm going to let you go, but thank you cool. for the time, Levi.
Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Take care. You too. Bye.